FDS Queensland section's fleet is kept in the sky by our team of 70 highly skilled pilots. They are all the best at what they do, but their stories and how they came to their careers in aviation are often completely different. Some come from farming backgrounds and have gained their pilot's license before their driver's license. Others have had long careers with airlines and others come to the service after flying for the Royal Australian Air Force. I'm Edwina Stott, this is the RFDS Queensland Section podcast and in this series we'll hear some of their stories and get to know the pilots who keep the doctor flying. My name's Nicholas Pelly, senior base pilot at uh, So I started with the Flying Doctor on the 19th of May 2014, which I always remember because it was my birthday, it was my very first day with them, so it was just coming up on six years since I started the show. That's Nick Tully, and he's the first pilot we'll hear from in this special series. Nick grew up on a station between Quilpie and Windora in Western Queensland. As one of ten children, the Flying Doctor was frequently called upon. Nick now flies for the service in Charleville, close to where he grew up, and he often flies people he's known his entire life. I sat down with Nick to hear more of his story and what it's like to fly for the service. And growing up you know, on a regional area, we always had, you know, always tearing around on motorbikes and, and had our fair share of accidents. So I think over the years, my immediate family were up to about eight fly-outs with the RFDS. Did, is that what made you want to work for the service? I think so. Once down the track, I made the decision that flying was what I wanted to do. We'd always had a connection with the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and I think growing up in the bush, my two greatest interests in life were were aviation and flying and the bush. So to combine the two, I think the RFDS you know, and having that association growing up as well, uh, putting those all together was you know, it was a pretty easy decision. To, to end up working for the Flying Doctor later on. So tell me, when you left school and you were deciding what career you wanted to get into, was it an obvious choice to get into aviation or did you do something else before that? Yeah, it was an obvious choice. Like a lot of people, I I didn't do particularly well at school. I was a very average student and left school not knowing really what I wanted to do. So I stuck with what I knew and, and headed west back where I grew up. I uh, spent a considerable amount of time as a contract muster, so working at home and, and working on stations around the area, you know, mustering sheep for shearing, and you know, when everyone had a busy time, I'd go around and give them a hand. Wow. So I did that for a few years, and then I went away and learnt to fly, and I more learnt to fly, so I thought down the track I'd end up on a, you know, back in the land, and mm. a lot of stations out west had a plane. We had a, we had an old sister on the station for mustering and and for station work, so I thought I'd, I'd learn the fly to sort of cover me for that as I progressed in my agricultural career. And then by accident, really, I uh, was offered a job with Consolidated Pastoral Company in the Northern Territory as a station hand slash pilot. So I wasn't really the, there to be a full-time pilot. I was sort of more doing the, the day-to-day station activities and just filled in the pilot as well. And uh, after 12 months on a property up near Kununurra, they offered the take me down to Newcastle Water Station, which was their head property in the Barclay Tablelands in Northern Territory. And I learned to fly the Twinnington aircraft there, the Baron, which was used by the CEO. And I spent three years with them. And by that stage, I was, you know, had the, the aviation bug had certainly well and truly bitten me. <laughs> so I thought I would uh, then get my commercial licence and progress. And um, I was very lucky that CPC put me through my commercial licence then. They said if I hung around a bit longer, they would pay for it. So I did that. And... From there, moved on to a charter company in Kalgoorlie in Western Australia, which 
we fulfilled all sorts of roles there. The, probably the primary function was doing FIFO charter work out to some mines uh, east of Kalgoorlie in the Great Desert there. And we did all sorts of other things. We actually flew for the clinics uh, for the flying dock out of Kalgoorlie base. We did a lot of prisoner transfer. We flew a lot of gold around. Um, and we did a lot of servicing to the Aboriginal communities in between Kalgoorlie and Alice Springs. So that was where I sort of built up my Twinnington experience and turbine experience and, and got me enough experience to move into the Flying Doctor. Wow. And can you remember the moment or the time in your life when you realised that perhaps being a pilot was the career for you as opposed to a career in agriculture? During my younger days, and it was 45 degrees, and I was sitting on a motorbike, and I'd been up since four o'clock in the morning, and bouncing over stones, and you know, getting torn by my with scrub and chasing sheep, and I thought there's got to be something better than this. <laughs> and I think that sort of prompted me to, to then move into aviation, and, and that's sort of where it progressed from there. Did you enjoy your first jobs in aviation? Were they as good as what you're expecting? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I, I I love the Northern Territory particularly. I spent a lot of time mustering up there sort of following on from my aviation, uh, my agricultural background, so a lot of time doing low level and you know, it was big hours and uh, it was hard work, but it was a hell of a lot of fun and mustering really teaches you the basics of you know, how to fly an aeroplane because you're low and slow all the time and you've got to be particularly careful of what you're doing. And then to progress from there in the Kalgoorlie was, wasn't too big a step, it was a, a logical next step and so we still were in the bush, which I love, and doing such a, a varied role there as well of doing all sorts of different stuff and was, was really good. It sort of built on the fundamentals that I already had in place and going to Kalgoorlie and just sort of expanded it and it was a really good experience. I really loved it. Yeah, I bet. Pretty varied. And so from there, did you decide that you wanted to go to the Flying Doctors? Because I know a lot of young pilots, when they, once they've got their commercial licence, they just want to earn enough hours to be able to go and fly commercially for the airlines. Did that ever appeal to you, or did you always know you wanted to work for the Flying Doctor? No, I always wanted to work for the Flying Doctor. I couldn't see myself in the airlines. I wasn't particularly chasing something that uh, involved you know, doing the same thing on repeat over and over again. So once I... Once I chose to follow my profession in aviation, the flying doctor was where I ended up. I particularly wanted Charleville base for the fact that it was close to home, it was close to where I grew up and still had a lot of family and friends and it was an area that I knew well. Mm. So the thing that really appealed me to, and still appeals me today in you know, the job that we do is that one, we get up in the morning, we don't know what's going to happen, there's such variety. And two, it challenges you every day, the RFTS. So you know, we could be no two jobs are the same. And the thing I particularly like is we can go out, you know, west of Charleville into a station in the middle of the night, land on a toilet roll, mm-hmm. um, pick someone up who's critically ill, and then three hours later we can be doing a precision approach you know, down the ILS in the Brisbane. So that challenges, as a pilot, you know, that challenges every aspect of your skill level from basic hand flying, you know, that's been going on for the last 80 years, you know, blokes at night, no approach, going to somewhere that's very underprepared and then... Yeah, and then we get to pick up and, and head into Brisbane. So but that's the main aspect of it that I love. What was it, though, that really made you want to work for The Flying Doctor? Was it that chance to work in an opportunity that is so different, no two days are the same? Is it that variation that attracted you to The Flying Doctor? Or do you think it was growing up on the land and seeing how valuable it was? Uh, I think it was probably a combination of everything, you know, the RFTS and the Outback are sort of have this intertwined history, and our family has an intertwined history with the RFTS as well. So, I think that combined with the fact that 
I, I didn't want to do a job that was the same thing every day. And mm. so, you know, having the ability to go to work and, you know, get tasked to go and do something and then four hours later we're retasked in flight and, you know, it's an ever-changing challenge. And so that was the main thing that appealed to me for the job. And do you like it because you, I suppose, would be helping a lot of families like yours? Yeah, I do. And I, I, I love people in the bush. I love their, you know, their spirit and their, and their resilience and, you know, how tough they are and their mateship and things like that. And the good thing about Charleville is, you know, we're the only base in Queensland that does both clinics and aeromed with the same aircraft. So we spend a lot of time, you know, doing clinics. We can get called away as well, but I love doing the clinics and, you know, and meeting people who are childhood friends who grew up with and keeping in touch with what's going on in the West. So that really appeals. And then, you know, as a, another challenge, we then do the aeromed stuff on top. So it's a, it's a very, very role and we get to do the whole aspect, which is really great. So I wouldn't be able to ask you what your typical day's like then, because I suppose there isn't one. <laughs> no, not particularly. We the clinics run from Tuesday through to Friday. So on a day shift during the week, we know uh, we know we're going to clinic. Hopefully, um, sometimes we get tasked for an emergency prior to clinic, and the clinic gets cancelled. But we have a rough idea during um, during Tuesday to Friday what we're doing to the day shift. But even on clinic, uh, regularly we get called away for emergency, especially in the cooler months of the year where there's a lot of tourists and yeah, a lot of visitors in the outback. So uh, there's, there's a quite a lot more higher percentage of flights we do during those cooler months. There's a lot more accidents. So, yeah, we just come into work on a on a day shift. It's a clinic day. We, we get the plane ready at, at 6 in the morning. We start, get the plane ready to, to depart at quarter past 7, and we'll head out, spend the day there, and, and come back home, uh, planning to depart the clinic about 4.30 to get back home at 5.30. But otherwise, we're just on call. <coughs> We'll head in the morning, do the daily inspection of the aircraft, make sure it's safe for flight, and then um, yeah, we might get tasked for a for a job, and we then might be retasked three or four times during the day as well to, to go yeah, to divert to other places and pick up people and, and all sorts of things. So, wow! And given that your role is so varied, how can you prepare for that? I know obviously you have rigorous training and that kind of thing, but are there certain things that you do to ensure that you are ready? Yeah, a bloke once told me up north when I was flying up there, he said, always prepare for the worst and hope for the best. So I think there's there's ways to prepare, and we're very lucky now as well. We have an EFB, which is an electronic flight bag, the iPad, so all our flight planning can be done on the run. We Once upon a time, it wasn't that easy, so we have a, mm. all the information at our fingertips that certainly helps us, especially when we're in flight. Mm. And uh, I think there's little tips, you know, we, we, as a general rule, we never go past a fuel stop without topping up just in case so we've got, if we do get diverted in flight we have you know, fuel on board to, to go where we need to and and I think having a pretty solid understanding of western Queensland which I do because I grew up here so I know where the stations are and, and where the towns are and how far everything is from and so that sort of helps me to prepare as well but I think always just prepare for the unexpected mm. in a worst case scenario so uh, if something does come in you're generally pretty well covered because you're, you're planned for the worst. And it's often said when you're a pilot for the RFDS, you're not just a pilot. You know, obviously you work very closely with your flight nurse and whoever you're working with in the aircraft. Do you enjoy that closeness of that team and also, you know, that extra responsibility of actually having to often help with aeromed rescues? Yeah, the team aspect, especially in a little base like ours, is a huge aspect of, of what we do. And if you don't work you know, together as a team, it's, your outcome is never as good as it should be. So we're very lucky to have you know, quite a close-knit team. And it is. It's, it's challenging at times when you, you are caught off in the third set of hands. So 
if we are at a little country hospital or something like that or something gets forgotten or you know they need an extra set of hands to to shift patients and move patients from stretches to stretches and all that sort of stuff or hold stuff or record things down and so you're you, you're a bit of a gopher you sort of you can end up in any role as the pilot mm. and uh, you know often you're running back to the plane to get more gear and stuff and supplies and, and back in and so it's yeah it's a, it's you're a part of the team and if you don't work together as a team you'll never have the we all have a good outcome but it, it often is not as easy and as smooth as it should be and do you have any particular memorable days you know does any day stand out as wow i can't believe that happened or that was phenomenal yeah, we've had a few over the years, and um, it's funny, like a lot of things, a lot of the jobs are fairly routine, and then every now and then you'll have one job in particular which stands out and just, mm. just reinforces why why we do what we do, and um, we've had a couple in Charleville, we had one quite recently, who, uh, which has become a famous case, and it was on a night shift, and we'd been out the wind door to pick up a patient and come back to Charleville and we're dropping them at the Charleville base and as we're coming into Charleville we got a call on the sat phone and they said oh we have a patient in Charleville that needs to go to Toowoomba and I was chatting to the nurse and they said I said oh yeah, what's wrong with him and he had a stick in his leg that's that's all we got that was the only, only information we had he got a stick in his leg and I thought okay no worries this sounds pretty pretty routine he turned up and he was a farmer who that day had been, you know, with the drought going on in Western Queensland, had been out pushing mulga trees in his dozer to feed his stock and the bulldozer. And he had driven over this enormous old dead tree which had flicked up into the cabin of the bulldozer and it fell across the steering clutches in front of him. So he, he couldn't pull the clutches out to stop the bulldozer. And a big stick, about an inch in diameter, started going through his leg. He sat there and watched it. And it went through, went through his thigh and went halfway through his upper leg. And finally, it lifted him up out of the seat and then the, then the stick finally broke and he fell back into the seat and he managed to get the sticks off the off the clutches and, and pull it up. Oh. And uh, so he came out in the ambulance, this guy, and I was having a yarn to him and I knew him. And so we, I said, oh, yeah, what, what happened? And he went through and told me and he said, you wouldn't believe it what I did. He, he said, I pulled the dozer up and finally stopped. And I had a look and there was a lot of blood. And he said he took his shirt off and tied it around one of his legs, which was bleeding quite profusely. So there wasn't the one with the stick in it. It was the leg that had gone half in and come back out. And uh, he said, I, I'm a silly bugger. He said, I should have taken the bulldozer over to the car, but I got out and I walked. And he walked oh. came back to his car, this, oh. you know, a couple of foot long stick, like branch through his leg. Oh. And then he got in the car and drove 10 k's home. And he got on the phone to his wife and he said, can you please call the ambulance? <laughs> and uh, the ambulance went down. It was about 60 k's south of town and picked him up and brought him back. And I said to the ambulance guys, I said, what was he like when you got there? And they said, you wouldn't believe it. You're sitting there having a cup of tea. <laughs> and um, and they said, mate, what's your pain? And he said, oh, it's about a four out of ten. You hear these stories of the AFS over the years of these you know, quintessential bushmen who are, who are so tough, who just refuse any sort of treatment. And I hadn't really come across anything till that night. And uh, so this guy came in. He, he wanted to walk on the aeroplane. We actually had to talk him into to stretching him on. And the only time I knew he was in pain that he wasn't letting on was he, he said, whatever you do, don't touch the stick. And I said, mate, fair enough, I'll, I won't go near it. We'll try, <laughs> you know, try not to bump it at all while we're loading. But that was a particularly memorable one. Just It was just a, I've never, ever seen anyone that was tough like that fellow. And is he okay now, do you know? He was fine. He, 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 um, we dropped him off at Toowoomba. He had the stick removed in surgery. And a week later, he was back home. Wow. I mean, I know bush people are tough, but that's next level. <laughs> It was it was quite phenomenal. Some people, especially the older generation, are very very tough, and they hate to put anyone out. 
And mm. um, we went to another case where a gentleman had fallen. He was 87, had fallen over in the middle of the night and broken his hip. And it didn't ring the ambulance till six in the morning because he didn't want to put anyone out at two in the morning. So some tough, tough people get around out in, in, in the bush. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. And so you've been with the Flying Doctor now since 2014, so for five years, coming up on six, I suppose, in May. Has it lived up to your expectations? Is it as good as you thought it would be? It certainly is. You have a preconceived idea in your head of what it's going to be like, and I never had anything to do with the medical field at all before I started, so I was a bit, you know, a bit naive to it all. But it's funny, like I said, you know, a lot of it's fairly routine at times and you think, you know, and you think, oh, this is all a bit ho-hum and just as it starts to get a little bit boring, you know, something will happen where you will make a, you know, you, you, you save a life, you know, it's a, it's a sort of a life-changing sort of mission where you go out and do something that's really critical and get them to Brisbane and you get home and you think, oh, you know, that was, of all the routine flights I've done over the years, that, that certainly makes up for it. You know, I can't see that changing. I think that'll continue through the rest of my career. And at no stage I have at the moment do I wish to go anywhere else. I've certainly set up a shop in Charleville and I don't really intend to go anywhere at the moment. It's a wonderful job and it's a wonderful place to live. Do you think it's changed you as a person working for the RFDS? I think it has. It's changed me a lot. I was, I was only 28 when I started and yeah, it's opened my eyes to a lot of things and exposed me to a lot of things and, and not not bad things by any means, but even working the communities and talking to people and seeing how seeing how hard people are doing it. You know, it's been drought out here for a long time and there's a lot of people that are you know, under financial stress and, and doing it tough. And and you see these guys day in, day out, and you see how, just how, how resilient and how tough they are. And uh, it's quite inspiring And, and um, when they come in and, and see us and, and uh, have a chat and, and they go away and, and they just go day in, day out, you know, and one day it'll rain and things will turn around. But... It's, it's been a fantastic job. I'm certainly a better person for, for having the experience over the last six years. What is the most challenging part of the job? What do you think is the hardest part of what you do? Uh, good question. <laughs> I think every person would say something different. Every pilot would say something different. Some of the really critical cases that we do are, are hard. And I think now I've just had a I had my little son, my boy is only four months old, and I think that's certainly changed my perspective to it as well. And in any case where you go to that's you know, children involved, um, and especially now since I've had my own child, is I find quite, it certainly changed my perspective, and I find it you know, quite hard. Um, and I think that, that, that human interaction at times where you know, a lot of the people we help, you're helping them on the worst day of their life, and you have this very short interaction with them and we don't follow up on them again after that sometimes. Like, you don't know what's happened to them. And I find that hard. So I always like, you know, I always ask the doctor and, and might be a week later, you know, how was, how was that person and how things went. But when you have a terrific outcome, it's fantastic. But unfortunately, not all outcomes are terrific. And I just think dealing with that, you know, like, like any person who's in an emergency, emergency occupation, just dealing with that uh, trauma and, and things that you see is probably the hardest part of the job. But, you know, thankfully, that doesn't happen too often. Do you think it's fair to say that when you're a pilot for the RFDS, you're so much more than just a pilot? You are to a degree. Sometimes you're the only ones free. So <laughs> if we are at a case and you know there's parents and family, which there often is, you know the doctor and the nurse are busy, you know doing what they need to do. So quite often you're the one left behind. So sometimes you play the counsellor, you play the extra set of hands, mm. drive the ambulance. Um, I've done all sorts of things over the years. I know. I remember, remember once we were at, at Blackall doing a case, and 
the doctor couldn't get the ultrasound to work, so I ended up having to take my shirt off and he did a practice <laughs> ultrasound on me, and, which at the time we thought was a bit, bit inappropriate between between staff members. <laughs> anyway, the job needed to get done, so we did it. And, um, I guess that's a good part about being a pilot as well, is you get to do all this sort of stuff and and um, you know, have a real varied role in what you do. You're not just flying an aeroplane. It is obviously incredibly varied, but what's your favourite part? What do you love most? I, I love going out to the clinics, and I, I have a couple of favourite clinics that I go to where, and just sitting around and having a cup of tea and yelling to people. And, and, and being from the bush as well, you know, we always talk about you know, the weather's obviously top of the list at the moment because it's been mm-hmm. dry for so long. And, and just talking about what's going on and what property sold for what and you know, who ashore, how many war, how many war bales they got last week. And I love getting back into, into the bush communities and just you know, catching up on news and having a yarn to each other and and you know talking about oh such and such got flown out last week and the Bush Telegraph is phenomenal. You know they they know exactly what's going on and and uh, you know finding out how everyone's getting on. And I love that aspect of it. I love me you know, getting out there and, and just catching up and being part of you know all these communities that we service. And what's it like living in Charleville? I mean, I know you're from that area and you're a regional boy anyway, but what's it like living in such a small community? Look, I don't know any better because I've always grown up and I've always lived in the bush. Ever since I left home, I've still always been in a regional town and I think Charleville's a fantastic place. It's not particularly big, but we're big enough. It's mm-hmm. 2,500 people and and people talk of the isolation, but we're only a seven-hour drive from Charleville, There's, uh, sorry, from Brisbane and there's a flight every day to Brisbane, and mm-hmm. so I think we're actually reasonably well serviced. And you know, we have a good hospital, and and there's plenty of services in town, and, and everyone knows each other. And you can have this as a good or a bad thing, but when you live in a little town, everyone knows your business. But having said that, if anything ever happens, or you you ever need a hand or anything like that, yeah, people will fall over themselves to come and try and help you. And and when we had our little boy back in July, the amount of people that uh, you know, helped us out and, and cooked for us and looked after the house while we were away and oh, they're just fantastic. The, the community support, but you don't get that in, in a bigger centre. Like, it's you know, humbling to be part of. It's a really good little community. When we were talking earlier, you mentioned that you have a phenomenally 10 siblings. Have any of them gone into aviation or medicine or followed in your footsteps? My father flies. My mum learnt to fly when she was pregnant with me, which I think probably passed on my aviation genes. Wow, she learnt to fly when she was pregnant with you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Not sure what, what made her do that, but I think she was always worried that flying around with Dad. You know, something <laughs> happened to Dad, now I can land the plane with all the kids in it, so she learnt to fly as well. My eldest brother flies. He's a vet. And we have three other boys in my family fly as well. So none commercially. They all have their private licences. So six of us end up learning to fly, but none of us ended up in the medic field. The, the my oldest brother's a vet. That's as close as we got. <laughs> so tell me, your dad learned to fly. Did he learn to fly much in the same way you did, you know, as part of that agricultural business and taking care of that kind of side of things? Yeah, he did. My dad's, um, he's mad about aeroplanes and always has been. He's got a, you know, I love aviation, but I've got nothing on my father. <laughs> he just reads plane book after plane book and anything about aircraft he knows. And... Same thing. He uh, he didn't learn to fly until he was forty-two, and the same thing. He was you know bouncing around on a motorbike on the stones, and he'd bought more country, and it was getting too too hard to muster just on motorbike alone. So he thought we're gonna we're gonna have to get an aeroplane. So he learned to fly when yeah in his early forties and bought a Cessna. And he's seventy-six now. He's retired from the station, but he's still got his plane, and he flies backwards and forwards between Kingaroy and Coopy, and he um, he loves it. And I think he'll. I don't know what he's going to do with his aeroplane, but I'll, he'll die with it. I think. Mm, just loves it. And your mum learnt to fly. How old was your mum when she learnt to fly? 
So mum was 39. So it must have been around the same time. as dad. Just after dad learned to fly, mum learned to fly as well. How fantastic. And what do they make of you being a pilot for the Flying Doctor? I mean, anyone that flies a plane is good in dad's books. <laughs> so uh, dad really loves it. He comes out and, you know, often take them through the plane and have a look around and, and what's going on. And I, th- I think that they're grateful that the Flying Doctor has, you know, helped them so much over the years. So it's good that someone in our family is giving back. We've got a lot to give back. We have a lot to owe to Flying Doctor. And uh, you know, I think they're proud that that are involved and, and uh, yeah, we're giving back to, to something that gave us so much. Do you think that's part of the satisfaction of working for the Flying Doctor? You know, the fact that you're not just getting a paycheck, you actually are putting something in, you're getting something back. Yeah, I think so, definitely. It's yeah, it's nice to be able to, you know, to give a bit back and, like I said, give back to something that's given us so much. My father had a plane crash in 2001 and I had one of my brothers come off a motorbike and had a very nasty head injury in 2004 and both of those cases... The, you know, if it wasn't for the RFDS, we, we would have lost both, both those two. So I think it's, you know, I, I don't want that to happen to anyone else. So I think it's good knowing that, you know, you still have that service out west and, and hopefully we're able to prevent anything like that happening. I certainly don't want anyone else to happen. You know, what we had to go through as a family and I think um, it's, it's a wonderful to be able to give back. It's certainly at the end of the day it makes it far more worthwhile. So what would you say to anybody else who is at the beginning of their career in flying and they were thinking about maybe taking a career in the RFDS? I certainly don't discount it. If, if you don't like doing the same thing every day, you, you want you know, world-class training. We fly fantastic, well-equipped aeroplanes. And the variety in our work is and it's challenging work. You know, we're going out doing things that the average person doesn't get to do. And I think uh, if, if you like a challenge and you like to test your skills and you want to build on your foundations that you start at flying school, I think the Royal Flying Doctor is a, is a fantastic career path to follow and it's very rewarding. And it's something that I don't think many people ever get sick of. It's something that you'll stick with for the rest of your career. Everyone says you know, when you leave school, you find something you enjoy, you'll never work a day in your life. And I know a lot of people probably don't get to, to really experience that, but I was very, very lucky. I yeah, once I started, this is where I was meant to be, and I, you know, I really, really do enjoy it. And do you hope that your boy, I know he's only four months old, but do you hope that he gets into aviation in the same way that you and your dad have? Well, yeah, I hope so. I was only saying that to my wife Sarah the other day, I said, I'm 33 now, I've got, if I stay, you know, if I stay healthy, I've got to 65, so I've got an RFDS at 28, so we might, I was saying to Sarah, we might be able to overlap for the last five years of our careers, we can work together. Hey, how cool would that be? He's going to be, he'll be, he's going to be spam with aeroplanes anyway, so if he doesn't end up flying aviation, I'll be surprised. That's Nick Tully, RFDS Queensland Section's senior base pilot for Charleville. His story is the first in a series of podcasts telling the stories of our pilots and how they came to work for the service. If you'd like to see Nick in his natural habitat, head to our website where you'll find a short video of him working at the Charleville base. Just search RFDS Queensland Podcast. The rest of the podcast will be released in February, so make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting app so you don't miss any of these fascinating stories. You'll hear from a woman who spent 12 years in the Royal Australian Air Force, a former long-haul Qantas pilot, and a man who dropped out of his engineering degree to chase his dreams of sitting in the left-hand seat. I'm Edwina Stott, and this is the RFDS Queensland Section Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time.